Hey, everybody, this is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast, part of the Demcast Podcast Network. I'm your host, Stephan Cox. Today, digital activism in the age of coronavirus. While we are stuck at home, many activists are wondering what we can be doing to help. Kelly Pollack is the director of content for Demcast, an online media organization of which this podcast is a part that amplifies grassroots content via a network of social media influencers, all with the intention of changing hearts and minds and electing Democrats in 2020 and beyond. And you can get involved from the comfort of your own home. I mean, we're online all day anyway right now, right? That is all ahead, so stay with us. So under the best of circumstances, you guys, being confined to your home is not ideal. But for us activists who are stuck at home during the most important election of our lifetimes, it is particularly frustrating. I've heard from a number of listeners wondering and asking what we can be doing during this time. And so I have invited on Kelly Pollack. She is the director of content with the digital activist platform Demcast to talk about what Demcast is and about how people who are stuck at home right now might get involved. I should mention that Kelly is also the host of the incredible podcast, Two Broads Talking Politics. And I will also mention before we get started to that, this pod, my pod, is part of the Demcast Network. Kelly, how you doing? Ah, well, you know, it's uh, interesting times we live in. <laughs> yeah, you know, the Chinese proverb, may you live in interesting times, it cuts both ways, doesn't it? Yes, it sure does. <laughs> well, so like I say, a lot of people are stuck at home right now, and I have taken a notion to trying to talk with people who can maybe get some of us to work in a meaningful way right now when, as I said, we're in the middle of the most consequential election uh, that's uh, possibly has ever been in the history of our country. And so some listeners may be familiar because we've spoken with founder Nick Knudsen uh, in the past. But just quickly, give us a refresher on what Demcast is and what it does. Yeah, so the idea of Demcast is that it is a digital platform for grassroots activism. And so it's got a few different uh, sort of prongs to it. Uh, as Stefan mentioned, I'm the director of content. So the content side is really our website. So DemcastUSA.com is our website. And on our website, we post uh, pieces, uh, blog entries, podcasts, things like that, that come from the grassroots up. So that may be from indivisible groups. Uh, sometimes it's from Democratic Party groups at the local or state level. Uh, sometimes it's just from individual activists. Uh, and we really try to focus on local and uh, things that are a call to action, something you can actually do. Okay. So that's the, the content piece in a very quick nutshell. <laughs> Got it. And uh, then there's an outreach piece. Uh, so I mentioned that we have content from Democratic Party organizations and indivisible groups and, you know, all sorts of different groups like that. Uh, and so Jamie Carter is our uh, director of outreach. And so she partners with a bunch of different groups. I think we've got nearly 100 partners at this point, uh, some national groups, some state groups, some hyperlocal groups. Uh, that we're partnering with. And uh, then the third main prong is uh, the uh, sort of social media piece of it. Uh, so Twitter and Facebook and getting all of that content, all of those ideas, all of those calls to action out to uh, a really broad uh, audience of people who can can see them, hear them, and uh, and then respond to them. So we put all of those pieces all together in 
uh, one big collection, and that's Demcast. Yeah, the amplification part seems to be the special sauce, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, to just kind of summarize, uh, Demcast takes original grassroots content um, and then uses a network of social media influencers to amplify that content. And the idea is to get a, Democrats elected uh, up and down the ballot in 2020 and beyond, right? Yeah, well, and people who uh, people who align with our values. So things like we actually put a, put a list of our values together. Things like we fight for equal rights. We strive to be anti-racist. You know, so we're we're looking for uh, candidates who align with those values. We are looking for uh, you know bills and things at the city, state, uh, national level that do things like provide universal suffrage and ending voter suppression. You know, so things that really are uh, sort of pro pro democracy uh, writ large and trying to amplify that. This is kind of a new way of thinking about this for a lot of people because I think. Uh, and maybe it's just because the way people use social media, we think of it as, you know, slacktivism, people hanging out and basically, you know, bitching about the, the state of affairs on social media. And I'm, I'm wondering, how do we get people to make that cognitive shift to think about doing the stuff that they're doing online as activism? Yeah, I think part of it is making sure that you have a, a purpose, you know, so it it's really easy to just complain on social media. I do plenty of it. <laughs> so easy. <laughs> <laughs> Take one look at my Facebook feed and you'll see lots of complaints uh, about the you way things me, are, both, <laughs> are going. But the important sort of extra piece to make it activism is to not just complain, but to give the, the ask, what can you do about it? And so right. if you're just saying like, oh, I hate these press conferences that Trump is giving, you know, that's not activism. But if you're saying, please call your son and ask them to, uh, you know, make sure X provision is in the next stimulus bill. That's activism. You're 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 asking for something. You're saying this is what uh, this is what the country needs right now. This is how you can accomplish it. And so I think that's sort of the the really important piece to keep in mind is the the call to action piece of it, and the being very specific. You know, again, it's very easy to complain, but you need to be very specific about you know, who has the power in that moment? Who should you be asking for different set of circumstances? Who can provide N95 masks now? Whatever it is, you know, just sort of making a larger complaint doesn't answer the, okay, now what? So, yeah, so make sure that there's a call to action in there and be very specific about who you're directing it toward. Mm -hmm. Um, And this, in its earliest incarnations, was about trying to counter the disinformation campaigns that are happening both by foreign actors like the Russians and then also by people like Brad Pascal, Trump's 2020 campaign manager, who really was kind of the Svengali behind the 2016 campaign. I'll just ask you your opinion on this. Why do you think the right has been so far ahead of us on the progressive left? I mean, we're we're the young ones, right? We we should know this stuff. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I'm not an expert. I don't know for sure. My best guess is that they, uh, they the right, have been uh, figuring out ways to do things that take money instead of people. And the mm. left has been figuring out ways to do things that take people instead of money. And so, you know, disinformation, for instance, is very easy to do when you have uh, troll farms. <laughs> you know, right. you've got bots, you've got, you know, you can just throw money at the problem. 
uh, it's it's much harder to do when what you're doing is throwing people at the problem. And so it's much easier to, not easier necessarily, but more uh, obvious to do things like knock on doors and, and call people that, that that's a, a people problem. So I, I think that that, uh, that is part of it. There has been a definite reluctance uh, on the part of the left to adopt social media. And I think in part, it, you know, it might be because that's what Trump does and we don't want to be like that, you know, and there, there's good reasons for that. Um, but there's been a reluctance to move that direction. Uh, and there's been a reluctance to fund people who are moving that direction, certainly. Well, I mean, that's always kind of the difficulty with the grassroots approach, as you say. I mean, we're putting people over money, and so that kind of by its nature puts us at a disadvantage. But the good news is that Demcast has had really good reaching engagement. Can you just give us an idea of the numbers that you've had since launch in terms of reaching engagement? Yeah, and so these numbers are actually a couple of weeks old at this point, so it's even bigger uh, than this. Um, but uh, the sort of most impressive number is that we've had six billion billion with a B social media impressions uh, for Dumbcast wow. content since launch. That, I know that there are repeats in there, but that is one billion shy of the the, the Earth's population. <laughs> right, right. So six billion is a lot, and you know if you put a market value on that, if you tried to pay for that, it would. Cost costs $42 million to pay for that kind of impression. So, you know, and we're doing this on a shoestring budget. So uh, that's sort of the the really big impressive number. Um, But the numbers that that I really love are that we've had 3,500 people uh, step up as social media volunteers or content contributors, people who have somehow interacted with us and and that's where all this engagement is coming from, right? We're not paying for this. We're not paying, you know, a troll farm to click on things. We are engaging people, and those people then are spreading the message. And so the 3,500 volunteers is, I think, the really exciting number. Uh, we've had nearly 2,000 pieces that we've posted on our website. Uh, so we're putting a ton of content out there. Some of those things get really viral. Some don't get quite as much attention, but they're all getting more eyes than they would if they weren't posted. Uh, so, you know, it's it's been uh, really exciting to see the engagement. Yeah, it's been really cool to watch basically from inception and to just see it grow the way that it's grown. And I am sensing that some listeners are probably getting you know excited by the prospect and thinking, well, you know, how can I get involved? Um, I, I would love to sort of bait the hook in that way by talking about a couple of campaigns that you guys are currently doing, one of which is you're pushing for vote by mail. This is something that I myself have been pushing for uh, in a big way. Uh, National Indivisible is as well. The elections may be disrupted by coronavirus, and so national voting by mail, it may become essential. So how is Demcast, how are you using Demcast, or how is Demcast pushing for this? Yeah, so, you know, in a few different ways, and that's how we do all of this. Uh, One of them is that we have a social media storm going on right now. Uh, So we have a a tech partner called Speechify, and Speechify lets us set up uh, like a both Twitter tweet storm and Facebook uh, campaign at the same time. And so you can just sort of click into it and it'll have ready-made tweets and Facebook posts that you can just click on and, and then tailor for what you want with graphics right there to encourage people uh, to be asking for vote by mail, to be voting by mail if they can, uh, you know, to be calling their senators to, to pass laws, uh, expanding vote by mail. 
Uh, so we're doing it that way. We've had uh, op-eds, calls to action, posts on the website about vote by mail, about why it's important, what it could mean. Uh, and then some of our podcast partners are also uh, doing things related to vote by mail. Uh, I just on Two Broads Talking Politics interviewed Ellen Weintraub, who's a commissioner for the Federal Election Commission, uh, and she talked about the importance of vote by mail and why she's calling for it. So, you know, with with all things we do on Dumbcast, you know, we're trying to approach it from lots of different angles and uh, and push it out in multiple different ways so we can reach the most people possible. You're also working to flip the Senate um, Mm -hmm. and also hold on to the House (laughs) and flip state legislatures. But there really is a big specific push for the Senate. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes. We have a a page on the website where we have pulled together the information for all of the Senate seats that are either held by Democrats and somewhat precarious or are currently held by Republicans that are up in 2020. Uh, And on that page, you know, we'll we'll list uh, the the seat, what the Cook political rating is, so you know which ones are the most likely to flip. Uh, and then if we are down to a single candidate on the Democratic side, uh, who that is and links to their social media and their donate page and their website, or if there's still multiple candidates in the race, and especially with so many primaries being pushed back in a lot of cases there still are, we'll list all of the major candidates uh, in that race. So, you know, you know, in a lot of places, you may be only hearing about one person in Kentucky, maybe you're only hearing about Amy McGrath, but actually there's, right. you know, five or six people still running. So uh, that way you can see all of those people and, you know, look at their information on your own and decide who you might want to support in that race. And so from Demcast's perspective, the idea would be to drive traffic to the websites, Twitter accounts of these candidates so that they can get bigger numbers, bigger social media following, and ideally uh, get some money and donations going their way, right? That's that's the idea. Yeah, absolutely. And Demcast does not, uh, does not take a position in <clears throat> Democratic primaries. We are not endorsing candidates. Uh, so we want to mostly be providing information about all of those candidates uh, so that, you know, People can can decide for themselves who they might want to support. Uh, but yeah, it you know in any of these races, the more uh, the bigger the social media following we can get for them, the more they're going to be able to get their message out, the better they're going to be able to fundraise. Uh, so that's that's really huge. Even if all you you know maybe you don't have money or time to give, but if you can just follow somebody on social media and retweet their message, that's hugely helpful. Yeah, I've watched Nick Knudsen put out the calls to action to say, hey, this, you know, person who is running for this legislative seat in this state uh, is just launching. Here's their opponent. They're a real dirtbag. Let's get, (laughs) you know, let's get a lot of likes going. Let's let's really pump up their numbers. And and it works extraordinarily well. Um, So let's just jump in to talk about how people can get involved. So first of all, just give us an idea of who you're looking for in terms of skill set? I mean, if you're, you know, obviously you're looking for writers, uh, podcasters, what else? Yeah, I mean, you know, essentially, if you have any interest at all, we will find a way <laughs> to put you <laughs> okay, to work. Uh, so, you know, we, we want everyone. Um, but, you know, there are there are lots of different skill sets we can use. So certainly writers, editors, uh, podcasters, uh, audio editors, hey, if you want to 
edit my podcast, you know, I'll take you on. <laughs> oh, me too. By the way, anybody listening? Yes. Yes, please. <laughs> um, so all of those, uh, if you can make graphics, uh, that's hugely helpful. Uh, if you just have a big social media following and you can push messages out uh, to social media, that's great. Or if you are part of a grassroots organization that might want to partner with us, you know, we're always looking for additional partners. Uh, so, you know, really anything that people can do, and especially right now, uh, while so much on the ground activism is not possible, some people have skill sets like right. uh, they can set up a Zoom call or, you know, even things like that are, are hugely helpful. Yeah, so uh, we, we can use everybody. I should stress this because I know that this was a question that came up uh, early on. Demcast does not retain the rights to any original content that is created and distributed through it, right? That's correct. Uh, And we do not care if we are the only place that something is posted. Uh, So there are people like uh, Terry Canefield has a pretty popular blog. And Heather Cox Richardson. Yeah, and Heather Cox Richardson. So they will will sometimes cross-post their pieces with our site, you know, and we'll put something on the bottom that says this was originally posted somewhere else and put a link to it. Uh, there are people who want to include a link at the bottom of their post on our site that says, you know, here's my PayPal link. If you really like this content and want to pay me, yeah. you know, here. And that is totally fine. We are only looking to get more information to more people. And, you know, we're we're not trying to make money off of it. We're not trying to, you know, keep the rights from you or anything else. Uh, so we're very happy to, to cross post. However, if anybody with deep pockets is you know, looking to fund something <laughs> worthwhile, uh, that's that's a role that can be played as well. I just thought I'd put that out there. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, some of the trainings that you're offering, there you've got a series of training modules right now. What are some of the things that people can learn? Yeah, so uh, we're especially ramping up training right now while people are at home and looking for things to do. Uh, so I did a training last week on how to start a podcast. You know, yes, just sort you of, did, and it was yeah. awesome. I checked it out. It was great. <laughs> just sort of talking through the, the very, you know, if you've never started, what are all the questions you might have? And I might do a more in-depth one at some point. Uh, we've done trainings on how to use Twitter as an activist. Uh, we have one coming up on, you know, how to write an effective tweet. Uh, we had one on disinformation and, you know, how you can spot disinformation, you know, what it is, where it's coming from. So all sorts of different things. Uh, and we are putting the videos from all of those. So we do them all through Zoom and we're putting the videos of those on our website. So if you miss one, you can go check out the video or, uh, you know, if anybody out there has a skill that they would like to share through a training, we're always looking for more trainers, too. I'll ask this later, but let's, this seems like a good time to sort of slug this in. Um, where can people go to learn more and how can they get in touch? Yeah, so uh, our website is the easiest way to find us. So it's demcastusa.com. And there are links on there. There's a get involved uh, where you can fill out a form if you want to join and we'll, you know, take a look at the things you check and and hook you up with the right people. There is a donate button on there, of course. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can sign up for our email newsletter uh, where we send out, you know, calls to action and things like that. Uh, And the the sections. So we've got a a part on the website that's called sections. And that's where, you know, if you just want to look at opinion pieces or calls to action or you know, podcast episodes or whatever, you can find it there. And we also have training, our training videos there as well. 
All right, cool. I'll have that information for listeners at indivisiblepodcast.org. Before I let you go, I want to talk about where you're at because you're based in Illinois. Um, and, uh, you know, the first thing I'll just ask you is how is Illinois responding to coronavirus? Um, I know your governor has done a wonderful job, uh, as has, I, I will just tout, our governor Inslee has done a tremendous job here in Washington. Do you get the sense that people are taking coronavirus seriously? Where you are? Yeah, I do. I mean, I I will note that I have barely been out of my house for two weeks Me now, too. so yeah. <laughs> I can't tell you if it's busy so it's out there or not. At this point. <laughs> um, but yeah, we we as a state closed down pretty early. You know, we haven't seen the kind of numbers that the California or New York or Washington certainly have seen. Uh, but really, our Illinois was closed down around the same time as those states. So hopefully we'll be able to flatten the curve a little bit more quickly. Uh, yes, uh, J.B. Pritzker has been amazing. I, I, I've always liked him as a governor anyway, but he's been really incredible. And we are so thankful that we elected him in 2018 and don't still have a Republican governor. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and the one of the wonderful things to see is, of course, in the state of Illinois, Chicago is an outsized part of the population. And so uh, Lori Lightfoot, who's the mayor of Chicago, has been working very closely with J.B. Pritzker. They've been making decisions in concert. They've been at uh, all these press conferences together. So that's been also really incredible to see. Uh, so I think Illinois, by and large, uh, you know, certainly we have cases here, we have deaths here, but I'm hopeful that we'll avoid some of the the worst of it because they responded so quickly. And uh, I just saw something that said that Cook County, which is the county that Chicago is in, was rated an A in terms of social distancing. So hey, I, I think people are, are listening. Uh, I mean, it, it wasn't until after the bar crawls on St. Patrick's Day that people decided mm. to listen. So <laughs> uh, that was not good. But um, but since then, I think things have been really great. And it seems like, at least in my circle of friends, people are really taking this seriously. Well, that's super encouraging because it's the most densely populated area in the Midwest. And yeah. so if people are really you know, doing the social distancing there, you guys may actually be exemplary in flattening the curve, which would be uh, that would that would be great. I hope, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I will just ask you on a personal level, I've been very upfront with my audience about the fact that I suffer from anxiety, depression, and um, I, I know that you do too. And I, I checked in with you ahead of time to see if we could talk about this a little bit. But I'll just ask you, how are you holding up with all of this? Yeah, you know, it, it, it comes and goes. I I went through the, the worst of my anxiety a few years ago. In fact, it was right before Trump was elected that I started medication for anxiety, <laughs> which in retrospect was really good timing. Absolutely. Uh, so, you know, I luckily had a, a pretty good handle on it. And, you know, for the past two years, really, I've been in a really good, stable state, you know, with, with medication. Um, this has certainly thrown me for a bit of a loop. I've had more panic attacks in the past two weeks than I'd had in the two years before. But oh, yeah. I, by and large, I think I'm I'm mostly managing, you know, a lot. It helps that I'm still working full time. It helps that I'm still doing dumbcast in the podcast. So I've got a lot to focus on. Uh, what has been surprising to me, I think, is that I've been dealing with depression for the past two weeks. So, you know, I hadn't had a serious bout of depression in probably 20 years. And so I I was ready for the anxiety. I was not ready for the depression to hit. And that's been a little harder because most of my ways of dealing with depression in the past dealt with, uh, you know, 
leaving my house. Getting out, exactly. (laughs) That's not so easy anymore. You know, in a place like Chicago, even going for a walk is somewhat fraught. It's hard to go for a walk and be six feet away from people, uh, you know, in in a densely populated city. So... You know, it's that's been a bit of a struggle, but uh, but overall, I think I've been doing pretty well. I've been in touch with my psychiatrist, you know, so she's given me, you know, thing coping strategies, things to work on, just being very open about it with everybody in my family, everybody on social media. I think has helped a lot, knowing that I'm not alone in all of this. And you know, I've got two kids at home, so to a certain extent, just being forced to model <laughs> for them is is helpful it sort of makes me snap out of it every once in a while go okay i've got to act like i'm happy <laughs> right uh, you know we're not hiding anything from them they they know all about coronavirus and how viruses are passed and flattening the curve and all of that but i don't want to be overly anxious in front of them all the time either and so you know just having to act that way sometimes forces your mindset out of itself a little bit yeah, fake it till you make it, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's just sometimes, and you know, I also suffer from depression as well, and there are days where it's just like, if you get out of bed mm-hmm. <laughs> and just kind of get your feet moving, it will help. Yeah. And uh, yeah, but like you say, not being able to get outside presents its own uh, series of challenges. Right. But yeah. So I also want to ask you about something really very cool that just happened a couple weeks ago. Marie Newman finally beat Dan Lipinski. Uh, he's long-serving congressman from Illinois' 3rd District. Um, so for people who may not know uh, the significance of that, uh, remind people of what a big deal that is. Yeah, so uh, this is the Illinois 3rd Congressional District. Uh, so not the district I live in, but just uh, one over from where I am. And Dan Lipinski had been in that seat. He's a Democrat, had been in that seat for a very long time. And before him, his father had been in that seat for a very long time. Uh, And Dan Lipinski is, uh, if not the most conservative Democrat in Congress, certainly one of the most conservative Democrats in Congress. And this is a pretty blue seat. You know, it's not quite as blue as maybe my district is, but, you know, it's like a D plus eight or something like a plenty blue that we shouldn't have such a a conservative uh, Democrat in that seat. Uh, but he was part of the the Democratic machine. And in Chicago, machine politics is super, super uh, powerful still, although yeah. becoming less so. So it was a it was a really big deal. Uh, she Marie Newman had run against him in 2018 and just barely lost, uh, and then ran against him again this year. And of course, the primary was a little bit crazy here because it happened uh, on St. Patrick's Day. And so it was right as social distancing was going into effect and everything. Um, But Illinois makes it very easy to vote earlier, vote by mail. So I think a lot of people had already voted before the primary date. Uh, But it was it was a really big deal. It was really exciting. Uh, Indivisible Chicago and most of the more local Indivisible uh, Chicago, like Indivisible Chicago Southside, where I live, had all endorsed Marie Newman early. Lots of uh, important national Democrats had endorsed her. Uh, groups like Planned Parenthood had endorsed her. So, you know, it was it was clear that there was a, a lot of momentum uh, to get Marie Newman in that seat. Uh, and she won. And it was just a, a really fantastic, heartening victory. Do you think that was the difference? Because she almost beat him in 2018. Was it the the momentum of all of these endorsements? Do you think that the the weirdness around the the primary coinciding with coronavirus made a difference? 
I mean, if anything, I think it hurt her. I think she would have won by even more without that. Um, But I think... So what happened in 2018 is Illinois, at at least in 2018, had the second primary in the country. So Texas had the first and Illinois had the second. Texas has a runoff, which Illinois doesn't. So essentially, Illinois' primary was the first one done in 2018. And I don't think anyone thought that a progressive could win. And so, you know, there were people who tried, people who knocked doors, but, you know, knocking doors in Chicago in December and January and February isn't always (laughs) the most fun thing in the world to do. Uh, So I think it wasn't until later in the summer when people like AOC and Diana Presley won that everyone went, oh, if we had just worked a little harder, (laughs) Marie Newman Mm. could have won too. And so then in 2020, everyone saw that experience and said, yes, this is actually really possible. Let's work and we can make it happen. And that's what happened. Do you see this as a good harbinger for progressives in the Midwest in 2020, where Democrats have to, of course, beat Trump? Yes, I think so. I mean, it, it's a little hard to know what's going to happen because a huge, huge part of Marie Newman's win Sorry, my kids are very loud out there. A huge part (laughs) of uh, Marie Newman's win is from the very hard work of grassroots activists. And so, uh, you know, tons and tons of activists in Chicago who don't have that much else they need to do (laughs) in Chicago because, you know, we we have pretty good Democrats here already. Uh, Right. We're we're seriously out there for, you know, months and months, knocking doors, calling, making writing postcards, texting, like everything to get this done, to get people to realize the primary was happening and they needed to vote and why Dan Lipinski wasn't representing their interest. And so, you know, that's going to be harder right now, not knowing how long we're all going to be inside or, you know, at the very least, not supposed to be congregating in big groups. So it could change things a little bit. You know, I think people are moving quickly, as quickly as they can to digital activism. And certainly, you know, all of the people in Chicago who were knocking all those doors for Marie Newman, who aren't going to have to in November because it's a blue district, you know, are going to be ready and are going to be trying to to make sure, you know, we don't need to worry about Illinois in a presidential election. So those same people are going to be going to Wisconsin and Michigan, knocking doors there if they can knock doors. So I, right. I think it is a harbinger, but I I worry about putting too much stock into it. Certainly there are a lot of Chicagoans really focused on Wisconsin right now. And I think that that's going to be really important because, uh, of course, Wisconsin didn't go to Trump by very much. Uh, and Wisconsin mm-hmm. is really hurting economically. And they just elected a Democratic governor in 2018. So, you know, I think there's every reason to be hopeful that Wisconsin will vote for the Democrat in the presidential election. But, you know, I, I don't like to take anything for granted. <laughs> Nor do I. So, yeah, people can be getting involved right now, even if you can't get outside, which we can't, uh, with digital activism. And so, like I said, I'll have the information for people at IndivisiblePodcast.org to get involved with Demcast USA. Um, I will also just tell people before I let you go uh, that Two Broads Talking Politics is fantastic. Uh, you get a ton of great guests. Just very uh, briefly, what are you focusing on between now and the election? So I like to focus on uh, local stuff. So Sophie and I, uh, you know, sort of our our 
prime thing is to talk to people that nobody else is talking to. And so, you know, we've, we've talked to some presidential candidates, uh, not any who are still in the race, though. <laughs> mm. um, but, you know, we talk to those people who are mayors of small towns or running for city council or school board or state legislature that that aren't getting a lot of exposure and and help amplify their stories. Uh, right now, I am putting out way too many podcast episodes, you know, to try to stay ahead of my anxiety, uh, but also because right. there's so so many good people to talk to out there. And so, you know, we've certainly uh, in the past couple of weeks talked some about coronavirus, but have tried to talk about it in in different ways. Like, what is the response of a small town mayor to something that's going on? What does this mean for our elections going forward? You know, so those sorts of things. Uh, so I think that is what we plan to continue from now until November is, you know, finding the people who are running for office for the first time, the women who are running, moms who are running for office, talking to them, amplifying their stories uh, and, you know, talking about uh, I, I try in every episode to do some sort of call for action, even if it's just a here's a candidate to give money to, but, you know, sure. trying to, trying to make sure that, that people know what they can do and how they can get involved. Well, again, I recommend it. And I will also say that your son, Teddy is the coolest. He <laughs> is uh, sometimes your co-host and, uh, and he's awesome. Yes. Teddy got to interview David Pluff, which is pretty much the coolest thing ever. <laughs> Absolutely. I would recommend listening to that episode. Uh, please tell Teddy that everybody in Washington says hello. I will. He'll love that. <laughs> Kelly Pollack is the director of content for Demcast and the co-host of Two Broads Talking Politics. Kelly, it's so good to talk with you. Um, be well, be safe, and uh, yeah, just uh, hang in there, my friend. Yeah, you too, and everybody stay home, please. <laughs> yeah, stay home, social distancing, wash your hands, all that. Yes. Flatten the curve. Absolutely. And that is it for today. Our website is indivisiblepodcast.org and our email address is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com. The Washington State Indivisible Podcast is a production of Get Creative Inc. and is part of the Demcast Podcast Network. Learn more about Demcast at demcastusa.com. Special thanks to Lori Caldwell. And as always, my thanks to you guys for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.